Hey Zwifters, and welcome to another episode of the Zwiftcast. I'm joined again by my companion de route, Nathan Guerra. Yo, dude. Hey, how's it going? And the llama himself, Shane Miller. G'day, mate. G'day, Simon. How's things? Good with me, thank you. Nathan, I logged in last night to listen to the voice of Zwift and watch some coverage of the Team Time Trial Kiss Race. And you were on a new service called Beam Pro. What's happening? Um, So we're just trying out uh, some new things. Beam seems to be kind of one of the next new things, and uh, we are not off of Twitch. We're not off of YouTube. We are streaming to wherever people want to find us. I want to make sure that um, those who want access to the stream where we've been, which is YouTube and Twitch, can have access to us live there. But we're pushing some of the uh, audience as much as we can over to Beam to see how things go there. Great to hear that we can find the voice of Zwift in more places. And more places was where you were last week, Shane, because you were up in the hot north of Australia in Cairns. And I saw you doing one of your KOM challenge events. What, what, what are those? Yeah, we've done it all over the shop. Um, I, I create a little video on my YouTube channel about every event we do. They're corporate nights, they're bike shops, they're uh, charity nights, any, anything that's, I guess, related to cycling, and it just livens the event up. So we set people up the Watopia Wall KOM, which is only a short effort. We have flat pedals, so we just make it a bit of fun. And we use the gamification side rather than the simulation side. So everyone's set to about 70 kilos, um, but it's just a great night to jump on and try a smart trainer for the first time. Is beer involved, Shane? Absolutely. It's Australia. <laughs> I thought it might be. Okay, well, let's get on to uh, the first thing we're going to talk about, which I, I think we have to talk again about trainers because the trainer world just seems to be exploding with new models. Let's take a look first at the one that seems to be attracting the most attention, which is from Tax, and it's called the Magnum, and it is essentially a treadmill that you put a bike on and uh, lots of people have had lots of things to say about it and the most um, prevalent thoughts about it seem to be that it that that it looks terribly unsafe um we know that people ride rollers already with about that much space and so i'm not sure about that i've seen uh plenty of top professional riders using something that's extremely similar to this that does different elevation changes and actually seems to be the preferred model that they would use when they are indoors training. I mean, uh, I've seen Team Sky on this, GCN obviously, and their videos are using something similar to this with an indoor treadmill. So I think that they're trying to replicate that uh, inside scientific environment with something that's similar to those things. And this will actually create, it looks like to me, more of a real world feel than you could get even on a rollers. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, I I don't know if this is going to be that unsafe. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that, that a company of the standing of tax, Shane, would even consider marketing anything that could give rise to accidents and liability claims in this litigious world that we now live in. I mean, I think the bigger bigger barrier to it is, is price. Yeah, for sure. Look, those are up at around 7,000 euros, I believe. No go. They're, they're simply not going to be out there. They're a bit of a show pony, I guess, or a show product to see what, you know, what future think is around the, the hardware. But getting the general population on one of those and your general B graders, your C graders, your D graders, it's not going to happen. These things are too expensive. They're too clumsy. Um, there's too too many moving parts and I think they're just not going to work. You're not going to be able to get a good FTP workout unless you're a highly skilled rider. So I think there's just going to be too many barriers for these. They're interesting to look at. I'd love to have a try on one myself, but I'm a no-go for these. 
Yeah, I think you've nailed it there, Shane. I, I think this is like, you know, when designers send crazy outfits down the catwalk. I mean, nobody is ever going to wear them, but it gets the designers talked about and gets ridiculous uh, photographs in newspapers and on websites. I I think there's, a like you say, a big element of, of show pony about that. But nonetheless interesting i think we'll just keep an eye on that one and see where it goes now the uh, elite who've come in for a bit of stick on the accuracy of their trainers have announced a whole new range uh, top of the range is the driver or drivo drivo i'm guessing um which is boasting some incredible accuracy figures um do you think this is elite kind of tacitly admitting that they need to give their trainer range a shot in the arm um, I had a look into the Drivo or Drivo. Their first 30-second promo of the actual unit itself had three seconds of the trainer in the video. I watched it a few times. And I'm like, hang on, where's the information here? I hope for their sake that it is that accurate and it is a good ride. But when the promo has 27 seconds of not the trainer, oh, I'm going to be a little skeptical. Yeah, yeah. Nathan, your local trainer manufacturer in Wisconsin, they've announced the Magnus. I think that's aimed more at the kind of vortex market. Yeah, and I think it's uh, I think it's going to be a pretty solid unit. They needed to respond somehow, and having already the power beam just a little bit above that, and then re looks like they're recreating that with just a little less of the you know bells and whistles to it i think essentially is what you're going to get out of that trainer is what it's looking like and just able to kind of hit a price point that's just competitive enough um with the uh with the kicker i think too that they uh will grab a few users out there for sure in that price range i mean it's incredibly active this market shane isn't it i mean i know it's the time of year you get these announcements we've got Eurobike coming up do, do you think all this smart trainer activity is completely inspired by Zwift. I think it has to be. Um, the way we use smart trainers nowadays is completely different now Zwift has come along. Um, as I've, I may have mentioned in the past, I was going to sell my kicker before Zwift came along. I just wasn't into the way it sort of set your watts. That's what you do and that's all you do. Um, and it was very digital, I guess. Whereas nowadays, the way people use it, the market is just massive. We're, we're getting people, 45-year-old women and above, a market that was never, ever there for smart trainers. They're buying kickers now or buying smart trainers, which is fantastic to see. So I think the market has greatly expanded because of Zwift. I'm sure the manufacturers have just realised how potentially large this market is, how broad, broad a base um, the Zwift community could be, and and how many trainers they can sell. I mean, I think it's I think it's as simple as that, really. Um, and, and talking about broadening the base of Zwift, um, Nathan, you know, after fairly broad hints by Eric Min, it looks pretty certain to me that an iPad version is coming out and probably very soon, maybe even by the time this podcast is published. Um, how big is that going to be for Zwift? I think it's going to open up for a lot of people as long as they understand that they can the technology behind it and it's an, you know very easily uh, walked through for them how to hook it up and everything. But I mean, uh, putting it right there on your phone, I think that that is going to uh, break down some of those barriers. I think that the understanding of how to set it all up has been, you know, for some people like, hey, can you come help me out with this? I get that so often. And uh, so there's a little tech to it. But at the same time, now that you can just put it on your phone and push go or put it on your iPad and push go, um, that's going to be a huge game changer, I think, for that uh, that barrier for some people. 
Yeah, I, I, that's the way I see it. It just removes that uh, that understanding barrier, that barrier that you see all the time where people say, I'm no computer buff, can you help me out? Do you agree, Shane? Do you th- I mean, do you think this could double the user base, triple it? I mean, do you think it could be that big? Yeah, absolutely. It's a game changer with no question at all. What the events that I do, we cut around a computer, a wireless keyboard, an ant stick, the big screens, the tripods, the you name it. With this, if we could just rock up with two iPads, I mean, we could still take big screens to do some air sharing, um, but it's just going to be fantastic. And to, to think further on that, places like Spin Studios, that I was at one here in Sydney yesterday, if you could just bring in, um, if, say, everyone bought in their iPads, they could all race each other. And on the big screen, yeah. you could have someone like Nathan calling the commentary. Yeah. So it just it's a game changer entirely. So it's going to break down some barriers. One thing I will predict, and I will, anybody listening who's an Android user, I will just say, just, just wait, wait, see what they do at the Android level because this will be the iPad version or the iOS version first and there's going to be a bit of a us versus them war with that. Um, yeah. But yeah. as an iPhone user, yeah, bring it on. Yeah. Do you think the graphics will be compromised by the need to run on iOS? Although, I mean, there's a lot of kind of uh, balls under the bonnet on, a, on, a, on the iPad Pro for sure, isn't there? Look, what you can do, it's known hardware as well. I guess the difficulty you have with something that needs to be compatible across many different platforms, on the like a PC base, I guess you call it, um, you've got different drivers, different drivers levels, different iOS, ver- oh, sorry, different OS versions and things like that, which is a bit of a struggle and really, really taxes the support team. If you go on the iOS system, it's a known hardware platform. Most people are up to date with iOS and it forces you to update, which is a good thing from a security perspective as well. I think it's going to be quite good. And the power of those devices is quite, yeah, quite amazing these days. It is going to be really, really interesting to see what a difference that makes to the user base and uh, like you two I predict that it's just going to uh, remove so many barriers to entry and you know make the, the the whole interface with with the computer so much easier to understand Coming up on the Zwiftcast, Aussie hero Matt Heyman tells us what he's been up to since the legendary Paris-Roubaix win and how Zwift is fitting into his training plan for the rest of the season. And stay tuned for the results of a fascinating experiment. One Zwifter returned to riding in real life on a tricky local climb after two years doing nothing but riding indoors. Was he faster? Find out later. Next, though, let's talk about married Zwifting. Both Shane and Nathan have partners who share the pain cave, and there are lots and lots of couples who Zwift. I caught up with one set of married Zwifters. Welcome to the Zwiftcast to Lisa and Jeff Van Dusen, one of a number of happily married Zwifting couples. Now, I say happily, but is it? I'm thinking that might come down to whether you are a one or a two trainer household. Which is it, Lisa? It's a two trainer household. I I imagine that makes things significantly easier. It definitely does, yes. Um, Have you always had a dual setup or was there a time when you you had to share a trainer? We started with just one to see if we would like the program and we both used the trainers in equal amount and then we decided we would get two, which happened to work out for the best. And Jeff, when you had one trainer, were there any marital disputes or, or, or words of disharmony about who got trainer time? Well, I'm absolutely obsessed with it, so I, I didn't want to get off of it. And uh, on top of that, I had to switch her cassette because she had an 11-speed cassette versus my 10-speed cassette. So 
it just became too much. So we decided, you know, hey, it's we're we're riding it so much that it's worth having two uh, Wahoo kickers actually. When we only had the one, I just had the girl, so I wasn't really on the trainer a whole lot. So it worked out pretty well at that time. And you 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 mentioned the girls there, and that that's twenty two month old twins. Um, I I don't think. It requires much imagination to uh, realise how much work that is. And and presumably that's why Zwift works so well for you. Yes, exactly. A- absolutely. I mean, they'll sleep till about 7.30 every day. So we're down there at 4.30 riding. And then once in a while we can sneak in down there when they're when they're napping. So oh, wow. we have ample opportunities because they, they love to sleep. So, <laughs> Well, that, that does sound like good news. Um, yeah. You both compete in real life, Ironman triathletes. Yep. Yes. That takes a lot of training. <laughs> sure yes, it does. does. <laughs> it started before the kids, but now we, we're trying to keep it going uh, while, we, while we have the kids, which is even more challenging. Yes, we haven't done a full Ironman since the girls, but we've done a couple halves. I would say I'm more average, but Jeff is pretty fast. He just qualified for the world championship, so yeah, for the for the seventy point three world championship in Tennessee in twenty seventeen, I just qualified for that, which typically requires you to be in the top, you know, three to five uh, of your age group. And do you get to do much riding outside in in real life? Honestly, we don't get in as much outdoor riding as as, as we used to. Maybe one or two rides a week, and then we sort of supplement uh, one or two additional rides on the trainer. And then in the winter, it's you know we have seven or eight months of of bad weather, so we're all trainer all the time in those seven eight months. Yeah, yeah, we live in Michigan, so we don't get that nice of weather for very long. Uh, yeah, well, I live in the UK. I know exactly how you feel. <laughs> Probably close to the same. <laughs> Zwift must have been an absolute godsend to you. Did you did you jump on it very quick? Absolutely. In fact, I, I not only did I get on it, but we have a local Zwift group. That's called the Tri-City Zwifters. It's a Facebook group. And I've encouraged maybe 10 or 15 others to get on it. And they've, they've basically started with the basic experience. And I've, I've got most guys up to the premium experience on the smart trainers. And uh, I, I can't speak enough about how great it is. And I, I've encouraged all my friends. And I have not found one single person who had a bad thing to say about it. So, And particularly for, for people in your position, I mean, presumably you've got, you've got, you've got jobs and you've got two two twins under the age of two and the weather's not so great i mean it kind of makes you wonder what you did without it i would think absolutely i i work a lot harder on the trainer than i do outside so i don't know why i didn't go to something like this earlier i mean i was i was actually part of the original beta test from the from the beginning of it but uh I, and i wish they would have had something like this out five years ago it would have mm-hmm. Probably, I would have probably been better on the bike than I am now. Yeah. It definitely makes indoor training a lot more manageable. Yeah. And yeah. fun. And yeah. fun. And do you always ride together at the same time? Uh, not always, no. Uh, I work long days in the summertime, so he's usually down there in the morning on his own. And sometimes after work, I might be down there once the girls are in bed. Yeah, so I'll, I'll be down there at 4 a.m. I'll have the baby monitor sitting next to uh, the bike. You know, I'll have... We have three three plasmas mounted on the wall, one for her bike trainer, one for my bike trainer, and then we have one to watch sports and triathlons and bike racing and things like that on. So That sounds like one hell of a pain cave. <laughs> it's a it great pain nice. cave. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you do Zwift together, do you ever kind of glance across at your sweaty, exhausted partner and think, am I really married to that person? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we look at each other's screens more to make sure... You're keeping up with your wattage that you're supposed to, rather than looking at each other. <laughs> um, have you have you any tips to pass on to similarly active couples? Yeah, one of the things I would encourage, I mean, especially on this setup, I always tell all my friends is like, you know, 
most people have everything they need for the basic setup. You know, you pay that 10 bucks a month, you get into the basic setup, and then you just become obsessed with it. And I can't imagine anyone not wanting to upgrade and spend $1,000 on the smart trainer. And then you, you created a situation where, you know, like for us, you can't put it down. So I think it's it's great, uh, you know, for your well-being, but also for time management as well. Yeah, I, I think also, and again, this must be particularly pertinent in, in your position. One of the things that I say to my my buddies who, who kind of asked me about it is, you know, if you've possibly got the space to have a setup that is permanent and all you need to do is put your bib shorts on, put your shoes on and jump on the trainer, it right. just makes it so much easier to, to get those sessions in. Yeah, I mean, you're saving probably 30 to 40 minutes a ride with setup and get your bike out and, you know, all the things that you, you know, driving to where you're going to bike or whatever. I mean, you every ride you're saving 30 minutes at least. So from a time management perspective, it's it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, well done, you two. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure there are kind of loads and loads of husband and wife uh, Zwifters all over, all over the world. Um, Absolutely, there should be more if there's not. Yeah, and uh, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Zwiftcast. So both you guys are part of uh, married couples who Zwift or couples who Zwift. Uh, Shane, uh, how do you get on with it? I mean, like I said in that interview, I think the key is probably having two trainers rather than one to make it successful. Yeah, look, we've actually had to buy two kickers because I'm still on 10 speed. I'm moving to 11 soon, but Veronica's on 11 speed, so we had to buy another kicker. So we've already got two um, and they're set up side by side. And as the custodian of the Zwift promo gear for their Australian events, um, so every time they come back, every year I'm, I'm the holder of that we've set that up just sneakily in the um in the trainer room so we can swift side by side with the big screens and it's fantastic we can both do the same workout or different workouts we've even been known to do hill repeats together and then i'll turn around and ride back down and meet von up the hill so it's just like how we ride outside it's fantastic uh, it, and it's a slightly different matter for you nathan i think because you and Lindsay uh, have to have um kind of different timetables because of your domestic responsibilities yeah i mean we've We've got the five kiddos so uh with kids between the age of two and 12 it's awesome during the day here we're really really busy and so we've uh, essentially set up times that uh she rides in the morning i ride in the evening and uh that's usually how it goes or i ride during the day obviously during my live streams that you guys join in uh with out there so um yeah we just uh and, and we keep it simple we keep it real simple we actually use the same bike yeah, yeah. And I'm really pleased to say that uh, Lindsay can join us now. Hi, Lindsay. Hello. Do you ever Zwift at the same time as Nathan? No. You always do it separately. And I think that's because of your pretty complex household arrangements, isn't it? Yeah. We have uh, five little people around here, so that makes it almost impossible. Yeah. And actually, I imagine a lot of married couples who Zwift do actually end up doing it separately. I think with the uh, with the children thing involved, for sure, I would think so. I also think the expense of extra trainers. Yeah. And um, Lindsay, has he ever commentated on you Zwifting? Yeah, we did that once a couple weeks ago. I did a kiss race. And um, yeah, Nathan broadcasted it and was commentating on the race. How that was that race for you? That Lindsay? was super. That was a fun experience. Um, I mean, the, the race was really hard. I think I actually told him to shut up once or twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was at least one or two. Actually, there's a lot of looks, and then once or twice vocally, just shut up. <laughs> and like, and um, would you recommend married swifting, as we shall now call it? 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, anytime you have both people involved in something that you can get excited about, that it's um, it's great for your life and your marriage. And yeah, it must be great to be able to share the same equipment and share the same setup and, you know, also be happy that the kids are getting the time and the attention that, that they need. There's also the challenges to it, though, too. Wear the headphones, I think, is a common, yeah. <laughs> a common yeah. saying around here. Wear the headphones. Um, who left that coffee cup upstairs? Mm-hmm. Making your office is a mess and I have to ride in it. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, so who's the he worst? messes up the area that we ride. I clean it up. <laughs> I get irritated that he messes it up. That's- he gets irritated when I clean it up and I put things away and he can't find them. <laughs> and we actually just share a bike instead of just, because we both ride almost every day. Instead of swapping a bike out, we uh, just move the seat around. So I lower the seat and, you know, change the angle. Sometimes I change the seat and he yeah, has to put the, his then seat the bolt back is on. Stripped and I'm not, <laughs> so we strip the bolt from like changing it all o'clock, the time. Ten o'clock at night. I need to ride. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like some pretty classic domestic stereotyping being played out in the pain cave. There. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a new word. That's a whole new definition of the pain cave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh Lindsay, goodness. it's fantastic to hear from you. Make sure that he leaves that pain cave tidy next time you're in it. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. Uh, so I'm delighted now to have been joined by Von Shane's uh, Shane's other half, better half. I'm absolutely certain. Um, Von, what's he like to Zwift with? It's a good question. Um, we did not Zwift together for a good period of time um, initially because we had to get our setups all organised. But we, when we Zwift, we Zwift side by side. And what's that like? I mean, uh, competitive, I'm guessing. Um, definitely. I mean, we're in two separate leagues entirely. I mean, you know, Shane's Palmares, he's raced at a national level for a long time. And um, even though I've done some racing, I'm in no way near at that same level of fitness. So, yeah, we take our own challenges and um, make up our own rides of what we want to do together as well. So we have done 100 kilometres together on the road on Zwift. And um, yeah, that was a very interesting day out. <laughs> or in, day in. <laughs> in what way interesting? Well, it was normally when you're out on the road, it's very difficult to hear what you're saying to the other person you need to shout across. Yeah, yeah. You know, and everything that's going on the traffic going around you but when you're side by side and you're saying okay yeah stay on the wheel I've got another hill coming and you know you can encourage each other along and be able to work really well with the pacing as well so um, it was the first time I've done such a long trainer session indoors I've never um, you know gone for more than probably two hours on the trainer for that one for me it was three and a half hours so yeah it was a a long session <laughs> but good <laughs> really good so it was great to have that encouragement and that company uh, and would you recommend swifting as as a couple uh yes it, there's definitely if you can do the setup like that's like one of the biggest things often uh, you have to share the training space with your partner so you might have to swap on and off the the one indoor trainer that's something that's difficult um but i guess if you're also apart so i do a lot of traveling for work um so if you had a different setup somewhere else you could ride with your partner you know across the other side of the country in our case yeah 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 and finally um does he keep the pain cave tidy (laughs) 
Yes, he does. But there's always the, the, the hesitation was too long there, Von. The hesitation was too long. I think you're just defending his good name. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's got so many trainers to choose from. So one day he's on the Neo, next day he's on the Kicker. Then he's trying something different with the Le Monde. Uh, there's always something going on in that room. So I have to kind of work around him. But I, um, yeah, I love to keep a bike on the trainer. That's one thing that's handy for me because I've got such a busy schedule um, to be able to have something fixed set up that I can jump on, jump off at odd times. That's the you know the thing for me to get my workouts done yeah great excellent uh, really nice to meet you really nice to hear from you and uh, thank you very much for talking to us about Shane's habits in the pain cave <laughs> no worries if you need an update on the Zwift Academy you can um, catch up with me on that too excellent thanks Mom. Okay, well, I think still the uh, one of the biggest rides, and probably the biggest ride on Zwift, is HDR. I think it's still king of the hill. And uh, um, a couple of weeks ago, Matt Heyman showed up on it, which caused all kinds of excitement. And um, we're going to be talking to Matt Heyman in just one second. But before I play that interview, um, Shane, will you talk to me about bacon? What is this whole bacon thing on the HDR ride <laughs> and, and, and with, the, with, with the Zwift Oz group? And I think the whole bacon thing is, is spreading kind of globally, really. So let's, um, let's get to the bottom of this one, can we? Oh, look, the HDR ride, it's always a barrel of laughs. Um, we have what's called the raining thumbs. When, when the pace is down a little bit and we're all sort of warmed up and just sort of ticking away, ticking away, it'll start raining. It'll be the call for raining of thumbs and then there's always a call to stick to the beacon stick back to the beacon whoever has the beacon which is usually tim and sometimes that comes out or is auto corrected as the bacon so stick to the bacon come back to the bacon and that theme just took off uh, so, so it's an autocorrect thing <laughs> I, I believe that's what's happening. And uh, as we, people type and type, you know, you sometimes you, you're, you're huffing and puffing and your heart rate's high, it'll come out as bacon. Yeah. Um, so that, that became the theme of stick to the bacon. Um, I think last week the theme was about thumb jokes and thumbs up and um, there was movie titles with thumbs in them that people... So not only are we getting a ride in, we're all having a ball. It's an absolute laugh. Um, but yeah, that's where the bacon comes from. Stick to the bacon and um, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I'm glad you cleared that one up for us, uh, Shane. It'd be really interesting to see whether Bacon becomes the kind of uh, you know jokey name for for Beacon as as group rides develop over the over the Northern Hemisphere winter. Um, it's but the new Ohio. It could be the new Ohio. Yeah, could it could well be. Um, but uh, the HDR ride was graced by by the presence of of Matt Heyman. He he showed up and uh as i say to to much excitement and people were were so pleased to to ride with him because he is a bit of a genuine hero so i thought it was long after time that um, we should catch up with matt on the Zwiftcast. so i managed to do so at his home in belgium and here's what he said matt welcome to the podcast thank you thank you people are really interested in in what pro riders get up to so why don't we start by just you telling us where are you now and what have you been doing today 
Um, I'm at my kitchen bench. Um, just got back from probably about about four hours of training. Just talk us through that. What 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 kind of effort level was that? Did you do any intervals? Um, no, this was yeah. So just trying to get back into it. Um, my coach um, he he wanted me to keep kind of a a, a low intensity, but uh, he did give me some some brackets for my heart rate. So probably about above one twenty to oh, 115 to 135 heart rate and that might seem quite low but you know I had about 250 watt average for four hours and um, so anybody who uses power which you do now with uh, Zwift quite a lot um, so yeah it was just a, a general endurance ride yeah, uh, yeah but, but still a bit of pressure on the pedals so not not just a recovery day so 250 watts for four hours you know to to people like me, for instance, I mean that's you know that's a big ride. But for you, that's that's what a, a, a mild to average ride. Yeah, it's get back into it. I mean anything, um, you know, anything above when when I'm riding, anything above uh, three hundred or, or three fifty requires a bit of concentration, and and you know that's that's a proper effort. But anything under that, and there's just making that difference between recovery and and that first training zone, which I think sometimes, which is good. Um, Kevin pulled to my coach from Australia, and and I think it's one of the areas that sometimes get missed. I think in recent years with the introduction of all the training is becoming a lot more scientific and definitely something when I was at Sky that we moved into was doing a lot more of that uh, sub-threshold work which is anything up to say 5 watts per kilo Um, so for me about 80 kilos it's up to 400 watts we were training a lot more in that area. Where where are you based in the in the race season? Um, Yeah I live in I live in Belgium uh, with my wife, she's Australian, and I've got uh, one boy who's uh, in the background here trying to be very, very quiet. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so he's a five, five-year-old son, and uh, my Australian wife. And yeah, we've been living in Belgium. Uh, well, I've lived here all of my racing career, which is yeah, coming up to eighteen years of uh, pro racing. I, I race the classics, and and I love the Belgium and uh, style of racing, and and that's kind of my bread and butter, and. It just made sense to live in this area. Yeah, and it must be great to, to be able to have your family with you because I know, you know pro riders, they spend so much time away from home. Yeah, look, this is this is our home now. Um, as much as I, I'm Australian and I love going back there, um, you know, it, it ends up being a long trip uh, when we get out there at, around Christmas time and, and we long to come back here because this is where we've set up. Matt, how has your life changed since Paris-Roubaix? It has and it hasn't. I mean, I, I realised a couple of days straight after that actually nothing has changed. You're still exactly <laughs> the same person and, and I do do a lot more selfies these days. Um, there's a, a lot of uh, looking into people's mobile phones and <laughs> photo with them, which uh, which I've, yeah, which is nice um, to be recognised every now and again um, around the traps. Uh, strange to it sometimes when you think, well, I've been doing this for, for a long time and, and, and last year I was here too and, and nobody really cared, but uh, but now it's a, it's more of a deal. Um, it's kind of validated a lot of the a lot of the time that I've spent training, a lot of the sacrifices that I've made through my whole career. And look, I was happy with my career. I always have been. Um, I've been happy riding for other people and I've been happy targeting the classics and getting some success there. Um, 
using some of those races, whether it was, you know, I've had some fourths and thirds and some top tens, a lot of top tens in the classics in, in, in the years. But, um, yeah, look, it, it was just a dream come true and, and to have everything go right on that day, to have uh, no mechanical problems and, and coming off the, the injury that I had and, and the build-up that I had and the far from ideal preparation, um, which turned out to maybe be the most ideal preparation. Uh, <laughs> yeah, who really knows what, what caused what, but uh, I had the ride of my life and, and the day of my life. Sure. Do you get more respect in the peloton when you win a monument? I think I was actually uh, racing in Yorkshire uh, not long after and one of the guys on my team said, well, you just go and ride up the front and you've won Roubaix, so you just ride where you want and then we'll follow you. <laughs> uh, there, there's always been a bit of a hierarchy in the peloton and there always is a bit of uh, – and maybe maybe I have. I did feel like this year at the Tour that um, I guess straight after I thought maybe, maybe it'll put more pressure on me as a rider um, that I'll – you know, if oh now I've, I've I've won that, I'll be expected to be good all the time. Um, but quite the opposite, I've actually been able to relax a little bit um, this this year at the tour. When I was dropped in the mountains or something, and and people you know recognise you, especially in France, I was like, just enjoy it. Don't don't worry about riding up the mountain and and this and that. And I was just really taking it all in, and um, and that that's. That's been really nice. Yeah. Well, I was going to say I can imagine that. I can't imagine that. But, <laughs> but, but, I, but I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah. What's your plan for the rest of the season now? Yeah, look, uh, I'm back onto kind of uh, the one-day program. So um, I'll be heading off to Hamburg. Uh, it's a classic, a punchy classic, uh, short climb in it. Then followed on by Plouet, big race in France. Um and then uh, over to Canada for Quebec and Montreal, and yeah, after that will be it won't be that far. A couple of weeks until the World Championships. Hopefully, I'm selected to to go there to Qatar. Sure. Clearly, people who listen to this podcast are very interested in in your use of Swift. Um, are you using it much now? I, I guess you're not really. I mean, presumably it's either a rehab or a, or a winter tool for you. Um, I like to get on there every now and again. Um, you know, there's been a few times here that I've I've looked outside and, and I've got no one to ride with and I'm probably a bit of a social rider as much as anybody and uh, I've thought, oh, well, or I'm, or I'm leaving for a race and, you know, uh, instead of getting out on the road early, I, I might just jump on there. So I think it's really time effective and yeah. um, so it's just – and it's always like there's people there to ride with and you feel like you are part of a group or, or there are people around, there's something to look at, there's something to do. Um, where I probably wouldn't have jumped on the home trainer um, like that before and I would have been one of the people that say, look, I, I'd much prefer to head out in the rain than, than to, to sit on a home trainer these days. Um, you know, if I had something specific and the weather was looking a little bit dodgy or, or like I said, I was packing for a race and I thought, quick, I'll do 45 minutes, um, I probably wouldn't do 45 minutes on the road. I'd yeah. probably, you know, minimum I'd, I'd kit up and actually head out for would be probably uh, an hour, hour and a half. Um, so sometimes, yeah, I have still been using it like that and I get a few thumbs up, you know, it's good for my ego if I, I bet, jump off. I, I bet you do. <laughs> uh, you know, just knowing that people people around and, and people that are riding, it's uh, quite motivating actually. Yeah. Have any fellow pro riders been curious at all? A lot of them have, yeah. A lot of questions in the bus, um, you know, asking, well, how does this work? How does that? Can I can I make my own course? Can I do Milan San Remo on there? And mm. 
Um, you know, so I've been, and I've definitely, you know, I even one of the first things I, I talked to the trainer of the team and I said, look, you, you know, if anybody gets injured, we should, we should have this ready to go. And, and, and they're asking me, you know, well, is it, does it feel real? Well, you know, you're in a game, but it, it is very motivating. Um, it is very social. So, yeah. And, uh, I, I still do enjoy using it and, um, and my wife jumps on too every now and again. I mean, uh, she's got a bike set up and we've got a little fellow and, you know, you don't have to leave the house. Fantastic luck with the rest of the season. I, I'm, I'm sure every single Zwifter will be rooting for you. Thanks a lot, Matt. Thanks very much. Top bloke and another married Zwifter. It's becoming a bit of a theme. Now, sticking with racing, and we're going to talk next to Christian Wiedemann, who is the founder of the ZTR or ZTR series of races. And Christian has just got the results of an incredibly fascinating experiment he conducted on himself. Hi, Christian, and welcome. Thanks a lot for having me on again. It's great to talk to you again. Okay. So, um, in brief, um, we're going to talk about the fact that you have spent two years riding exclusively on Zwift, and you've done a before and after on a local climb with really interesting results. So, let's set the scene and talk to us about the in-real-life local climb that this experiment is based around. Well, the old La Honda climb um, is actually one of the benchmark climbs in our area that a lot of the local racers use to um, judge their fitness. Um, it's it's a, a great climb because there's very little traffic on it. It's not too long. Uh, it's not a super challenging climb. It's probably about uh, between 7 and 8% grade uh, for three miles. Um, but that sort of makes it a great way to go out and do a test and the the goal that a lot of people have is to get under 20 minutes for that climb. Okay. Uh, what Do you know what the vertical um, lift is on the climb, Christian? Um, it's about 1,290 feet. Um, okay. So that's about 350 metres. So that's climbing at the rate of something over 1,000 metres VAM, vertical ascent. Uh, in meters and, and and that's a pretty good rate of climb i think pros when they're really nailing it will do 1400 or 1500 and what's what's the nature of the climb is it twisty or straight it's twisty it's mostly shady um it, there are, there are a few hairpins where the pitch goes up to about 15 percent uh but overall it's a fairly steady climb yeah and prior to this experiment which we're going to talk about what was your best time up there so actually to set the stage, the, my best time was probably about 20 years ago when I was in my 20s and when I was <laughs> racing. Right. Um, and that was about 21 and a half minutes. Um, uh, I mean, you're an, you're an experienced rider. As you say, you're an ex-racer. You're a pretty fit guy, but you've spent um, two years riding exclusively on Zwift. Now, um, some people may find that slightly surprising, but obviously you've got you've got terrific reasons for doing so as lots of Zwifters do just just outline what those reasons are the main reason is that these days I have a family I have young kids so I like to save my weekends to spend with family mm. as a result what I do is I ride mostly during the weekdays um, I think I've had like three or four weekend rides over the past year and a half mm. um, so because of my schedule, if I were to ride out on the road, I'd mostly be riding alone because nobody else has the same schedule. Mm. 
so as a result, uh, Zwift for me is a much more social way of riding. And above all, on Zwift, I get to ride in races, which is a passion of mine. Mm. Um, it's something that I didn't think I would be able to do with my family schedule, but it's been really amazing over the past. I guess the racing scene has probably just been uh, about uh, 15 months or so that, that there's been active racing on Zwift. Mm. But it's been a lot of fun and very motivating. Mm. Um, and in fact, I've replaced all of my structured training with racing. So I don't actually go out and do interval workouts anymore. My interval workouts are done in an unstructured way in the race setting. Mm. And, and that's what I think makes this experiment even more interesting. Um, you're, 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 you're in the A group, aren't you, in, in Zwift races? Again, just to set the scene, you, you, you're probably one of the, the, the stronger riders on, on the Zwift racing scene. I'm, I'm just at the border between the a group and the B group, okay. um, but I'm I'm now certainly after the year of training I'm certainly um, strongly in the A group. I'm too strong to ride in the B group. Okay, so uh, the conclusion then of this experiment was you managing to get out onto old La Honda again in real life and. Well, tell us what happened. I mean, it was a very interesting ride because I ride so rarely on the road. It feels very different when I go outside. And the one thing that I notice is how alive the bike feels when mm. you get out on the road. Mm. Um, and I do miss that a little on the trainer. But um, I felt really good going up the climb. Um, every time I pushed on the pedals, I felt myself surging forward. And in the end, I managed to hold a power that was higher than I had expected. I managed to hold 320 watts which for me um, at 72 kilograms, um, sorry, I have to do the calculation, is about, I think it's about 4.2 or 4.3 watts per kilogram. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I managed to smash my previous time. I, I managed to climb, uh, to finish the climb in 19 minutes and 38 seconds, uh, which according to Strava is a VAM of 1193. Wow. Um, meters, um, yeah, I mean, that's a really, really good time. And that's that's beating a record from from 20 years ago. Now, did you have any live motivation, which, of course, we're all very familiar with on, on Swift, is that, you know, you've always got a wheel to chase and you can see all your numbers. Were you going up against um, a Strava Live segment or anything like that? I did have a couple of wheels to chase, but it's not like Zwift where, uh, you know, you're, you're passing somebody probably every 20 seconds or so. Yeah. This was, I passed, I think, uh, two people or three people on, on the ride up in the 20 minutes. I know the climb well, so I, I was able to break it up into segments and, and try to pace myself. Mm. Uh, because I felt so good out on the road, I, I went out way too hard, though. Um, so I did have a, a, a spot in the middle where I faded a bit. But I managed to pick it up again towards the top and, and finish strong. Mm. And how do you set out to, to uh, did you set out thinking I, I could really nail this this could be this could be an all-time PB or was it one of those rides which we all have sometimes when you think good god I'm going well I, I stand a chance of getting a really good PB on this segment I had an inkling that I, I would go well um, the you know the big question always is when you're doing a lot of indoor riding you know will that translate to outdoors and I was very gratified to see that it did I knew that if my Zwift numbers were correct I was strong enough to beat 20 minutes so the big question was you know does the Zwift fitness transfer over 
to the outdoor riding. And I, I was gratified that it did. Yeah. Um, I, in I, fact, I was stronger, I think, outdoors than I am on Zwift. And, and so. that indeed is what makes this so absolutely fascinating from a physiological point of view, it is the translation of indoor to outdoor fitness, about which there is still some skepticism, it has to be said. But, but you know, this is pretty much proof of concept. So if this was a scientific paper, there'd be a kind of section at the end that said, you know, summary or findings or conclusion or areas for further research. What, what, what would you put into that section of the paper? I, I think there are two big takeaways from this. One is that riding indoors definitely builds a fitness that is useful outdoors, at least in the context of, of climbing uh, a hill. So if somebody wants to train to climb a hill, Swift is a great way to do it. Um, and I think the second takeaway for me personally is the fact that I gave up um, the structured training in, in exchange for the races. Mm. And by doing two races in a week in place of my structured intervals, I was able to build fitness. Um, I think I, I've probably over the past, well, to be fair, I've been on Zwift probably for 18 months. Riding exclusively indoors is is probably two years. Yeah. Um, but over those, those two years, I think I've improved uh, from an FTP of about 270 to 300. Um, which for somebody who's only training six to eight hours a week is is a really good accomplishment. God, yeah, uh, too right it is. Uh, and, you know, something I'm conscious of, none of us are getting any younger. So what, what age are you? Because because FTP kind of um, not, not inevitably declines, but, you know, you're, you're, fighting, you're fighting a battle, <laughs> aren't you, as, as you age? Yeah. Yeah, don't remind me about that. I'm I'm 49, turning 49 this year, so um, getting on as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a fantastic achievement. Um, has it motivated? Well, clearly, it's motivated you to to, to carry on swifting and, and carry on racing. Has it motivated you to think that you could go even better outside on Old La Honda? I think so. I, I think there's definitely still some gains to be made. Um, I my. My FTP hasn't plateaued yet. Um, I expect that I don't have that much more left in me, but we'll see. Uh, and I'm going to continue to training hard, um, continue my racing program on Zwift to see how far I can uh, take it. Yeah, yeah. So that's two two hard races a week. That's presumably Tuesday and Thursday. And then do you do do you do easy recovery rides in between? I try to do easy recovery rides in between. Uh, as everybody knows, it's easy to get caught up and to do too much. <laughs> yeah. um, sometimes I do a slightly harder ride on Fridays because I have the whole weekend off to recover. Um, but I try not to uh, overdo it. Yeah. Well, as I say, Christine, I think it's an absolutely uh, a fascinating um, experiment with, with a real kind of verifiable outcome uh, uh, always difficult to kind of generalize from one person's experience but there are certain rules that apply to all, all types of training uh, you know clearly you would you would recommend this pattern to anybody who wants to to better their kind of all-time pb on a on a favorite climb Absolutely. And, you know, I think the key is maybe not so much the actual structure of the training, what uh, what I trained. Uh, races are great because they train all systems. Um, now, structured workouts may be more efficient, but for somebody like me, motivation is the key. And mm. I have so much fun racing that I, I've missed very few races when I've been healthy. Mm. Um, and, 
you know, that kind of motivation and getting out on the bike is much more important, I think, than the absolute efficiency of training, unless you're so serious that you're an elite rider or a pro. And, you know, I think it's a testament that I, I, I was able to get to this level that I'm racing in the A group at Zwift, in Zwift, um, which is actually a fairly fast group, yeah. um, just by by doing this kind of program great really fascinating story christian lovely to have you back again on the podcast i'm sure we'll be hearing from you in the future and uh, thank you very much for telling us your story thanks a lot for having me on okay now christian's a really bright guy he knows lots about racing he knows a fair bit about physiology he obviously knows an awful lot about his own body and he knows a lot about this local climb that he's 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 grown up with and done a lot um and that's those variables are pretty well controlled so this smacks to me of being a fairly good experiment a physiological experiment do you, do you agree with that shane yeah for sure uh i've got a lot to say on this topic though so i'll try and keep it short yeah. <laughs> We're very good. look what that does is we've seen it with matt Heyman. Uh, he he kept fitness with swift but um look it's fitness and not skills for racing. That's the way I see Zwift. FTP that we always talk about FTP, what's your FTP, develop your FTP. FTP is a measurement of fitness, not your skill set. So for something like going up a hill like that, that's nearly purely what's per kilo. There's no sort of cornering. There's no wind in your hair. There's no um, inertia of the re the wheels, changing your steering and speed and grip of the tires. There's so much more that goes into it. However, for fitness, fantastic. For skill set, you need to get out on the road and race. A lot of us who have that um, I guess the racing fitness or the racing background for probably 10 years before Zwift came along, maybe even more for a lot of us. Um, we never lose that. You go out in the road, it's straight back. But for the beginners, I think Zwift needs to be an accompaniment, not the be all and end all for the racing experience. If you want that skill set to be, to be able to go out in the road and safely race your mains. Yeah, but it is really interesting, isn't it? Because everyone comes to cycling with their own baggage. So, you know, you come to cycling with a whole lot of racing heritage and that colours the way that you look, uh, I think, probably about other cyclists. It probably colours the way you look at uh, fitness training on Zwift. It probably colours the way you look about how people ride outside. I mean, you know, all of that stuff influences us all the time in how we look at other cyclists because... You know that's what cyclists do they're always checking themselves out against other cyclists i mean it's just yeah. it's just part of being a cyclist isn't it but i think the interesting thing nathan is that most people like to go up hills faster even if you're an 85 90 kilo guy you like to go up hills faster and that's what christian was able to achieve after just two years on zwift uh, and i think that's really interesting and he did it by abandoning structured training i mean i guess you do quite a lot of structured training uh yeah i do do a lot of structured training but the way that he has set up his structured training i mean he set up structured training actually with two races a week i yeah. mean that's i mean two to three intensity rides a week is usually what you're handing to an athlete unless they're at a pretty elite level with a huge amount of base foundation to recover very quickly from their very high intensity and at certain times during the year they might be doing more than that right but he has kind of set up structured training where I race twice a week and then I recover three days a week. It's just they don't have specific intervals. The intervals are thrown at him by other people's efforts, you know, and so other people yeah. are essentially throwing 
intervals at him saying, keep up with me. You yeah, know? Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, what he's um, basically got there is he's got two macro intervals, which are the races themselves. And then within those, he's got a, a whole series of micro inter- intervals where he's got a chase at five watts per kilo to to close down a gap or something. So I, I think for him to say he's abandoned structured training, well, of, of course, it's, it's basically true, but he is still training in intervals. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, essentially, in a Zwift race, you're going for over-unders is what you're doing. I mean, you jump in the pack, but the reality is in the pack on Zwift, you are actually holding more watts per kilogram and uh, a much higher effort, at least if you're racing against people at uh, a similar FTP as you, than you would actually in the pack in, in real life, That as far as what I found. I think Shane could probably say uh, that something similar to that, too, um, in his experience, that it is going to be slightly higher and the consistency on the trainer there you aren't really going to be holding off at any point you still have to keep that speed in game and so um you know you essentially are having an over effort followed by an under effort over effort under effort and that's usually going to be right around ftp uh with some spikes in there and some letdowns in there when you go into the sagan tuck so yeah yeah yeah. i mean i think um uh, shane you know, I had a season on Trainer Road when I was trading hard in winter for a very big challenge I was going to do the following summer, and I stuck to my intervals pretty religiously. But 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 I'm I'm kind of good at sticking to intervals. You know, there's there's nothing I like more than for someone to say to me, "There's a pile of sand in one corner of a room. What I'd like you to do is move it to another corner of the room." You know, I'm I'm very kind of task orientated, so I'm very good at sticking to intervals. But having said that, having since the advent of Zwift, I've not touched Trainer Road because I find the motivation of competition to be just a whole lot more fun than, than doing a four-minute interval at 120% of FTP. And I think also that's what Christian was saying, wasn't it? That it's, it's the motivation of competition that makes training easier. Do you think that is something that is universal in all cyclists? Yeah, I think... And um, I'm also a true believer in, uh, well, I love the interval session. My five by fives or eight minute intervals for a time trial is fantastic. But I think what we all do is we're creatures of habit. We go back to the same things that work all the time and we'll plateau. What these races will allow you to do is throw in an element of randomness. And a lot of the time you'll have what's what I call a breakthrough workout where you'll really, really overreach and go as hard, like a lot harder than you've ever gone before and reach that next level. You'll need to recover correctly for that, but you'll go through a, a multitude of breakout workouts or breakthrough workouts yeah. over a short period of time and you'll be flying really quick and you may just stay at that next level. So you recover, bring yourself up to the next level. So, And it's all about new stimulus as well. Yeah. If, if your legs have been doing the same intervals for years and you try something new like Swift Racing and that the randomness of that is what a lot of people really do need to break out of those habits. Yeah. I'm a true believer in, um, yeah, in uh, what Christian's done and I think it's worked really well for him. That's the time he's knocked off is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. And and you're absolutely right about that breakthrough element and, and, and trying to change the habits that keep you on a plateau. I mean, some of the biggest gains I made uh, in real life cycling was when I joined a club and started riding with guys who were younger, fitter and faster than me. And surprise, surprise, I didn't get any younger, but I did get a bit fitter and a bit faster. And that that raises some another interesting talking point that came up on the Facebook groups. And, and it was summarised as, is it ever acceptable to weight dope? In other words, to not put your true weight into Zwift and actually put a lighter weight than you are, which means that you will be represented as going faster in the game than you really are. Um, but the reason that this guy brought it up was to say that he wanted to 
join group rides with faster riders. So he wasn't doing this to misrepresent himself. He was doing this so that he could keep up with faster riders and alluding to the point I just made, therefore presumably get fitter. So is it using those criteria acceptable to weight dope? Nathan. Well, there's two sides to that coin. I mean, first of all, is he getting fitter? I mean, if that's really his goal, and um, and I would, I would, he would, I think, be getting fitter uh, slowly no matter what, but would he get, be getting fitter faster if he was finding a group that uh, he didn't have to wait to open with? Now, if these are his buddies and he wants to ride with these people and there's full transparency about what is going on here, I don't have a problem whatsoever. In the past, I would have said something totally different, actually. When I first got into beta and I was all... Competitive Zwift head here, wanting to beat everybody. I would have been a, a lot different opinion at this point. I would, I am. If there's full transparency between him and the group, cool, right on. Like you have disclosed that to the other riders that you are with in that group, and um, and everybody's okay with it. I mean, if they're not okay with it, there's not much that they can do. But you've told them that, and you're not out there to whoop on everybody. You're not out there to drop the hammer on all of them. You're there to hang out with them and ride with them. If you are showing up to a race and doing this, um, it's just unacceptable. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's yeah. completely yeah. and totally unacceptable. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, in a group ride, ride on, transparency, let it be known. And if it's accepted by the group, then that's up to those guys. Yeah, yeah. And I think everyone or most people would agree with that point of view, Shane, that Nathan's just, just espoused there. But... The problem is this becomes a nasty habit, doesn't it? And isn't it just a slippery slope? Once you start thinking, okay, well, I'll just knock 20 kilos off my weight to stay with the group, you know, does it become a nasty habit? Yeah, I think uh, Nathan nailed it with the transparency side of things. As long as the if there's an event running and the event organizer allows for that, sure. Um, but the last thing you'd want to be doing is ha to be sort of fighting at the pointy end of a any any grade, I guess, B grade, C grade, A grade race with people who really aren't on the same footing, um, or they may influence a race differently. Um, if they've sort of you know miscalculated that adjustment terribly, um, mm. they could really influence the race in a negative way. So as, again, as long as the event is known and everybody every, everybody participating in those events knows about that change, sure. Now, just a little bit of, of, of housekeeping, and it might be, feel, all feel a bit incestuous, this, but um, as listeners know, uh, we are now supported by Zwift, which is great because it means the Zwift cast can be more regular and more frequent. Um, but whilst we're supported, we're not fettered, and we are, we are free to say what we like and to, uh, if we feel it's right, to, to, to have uh, harsh or even critical words for Zwift. Um, however, one of the consequences of being supported by Zwift is that I've been asked for um, a seven-day exclusivity window uh, for new episodes of the Zwiftcast. So how that will work is as soon as the Zwiftcast is ready, um, it's going to start to be attached to group rides. So if you want to hear the new episode first, you join a group ride and enable the audio on that group ride as provided by Zwift. And um, people who, who, who aren't able or don't want to or can't join those group rides have to wait seven days to hear a new episode um i readily agreed to that 
because it just struck me as a good thing to do. It struck me as a nice way of repaying Zwift for the support that they've lent to the podcast. And I figured that um, seven days was not an awful long time to wait and that most people or many people would probably do a ride in that intervening period. Um, Shane, was I right to say yes? Is seven days too long? No, I think that's about right. Um, it's all about bums on bikes, isn't it? So if that gets people riding their bike to listen to the uh, the Zwift cast and they weren't going to do a session, but they now will, I'm all for it. Yeah, yeah. And also, Nathan, you know, I, I probably shouldn't say this, but um, maybe you don't have to ride, but you don't have to do the ride. You could just log on and listen to the audio. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was thinking, too. I mean, we're talking about ways that people are getting around things here. Well, <laughs> you just log in and join a ride and then push the play button. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's almost easier than trying to find a podcast for me somewhere on iTunes or something. I mean, I, like, I've always got Zwift up anyway, so I'm just open it up and listen. So I don't know. I mean, it, it seems uh, it seems pretty, pretty simple. And it makes a lot of sense to me to um, the idea is to get uh, people into Zwift and riding Zwift and on their bikes, like Shane was saying. And so I, I think it's a, a great way to enhance the experience. So, yeah. Okay. Well, good to hear your, your views on that. And I, I have to tell listeners that was not in any way rehearsed at all. Uh, that, that was, that's the first time we've, we've, we've spoken about this. Um, Shane, what have you got coming up? Um, you're you're going to come over to uh, Euroland, are you not? Look out, there's an exclusive. Absolutely. I've just had some tickets to Eurobike land in my inbox. I thought, let's pull the trigger on that. Um, th- as we mentioned earlier in the show, the trainer market is huge this year. It's massive. I think it's going to be the number one thing for the show because road bikes, you know, what's happening in road bikes? you got, yeah, disc brakes. What's yeah. happening in mountain bikes? Actually, Nathan will be the one to answer that one. But there's not a lot happening in that scene, but the trainer space is just huge. So, yeah. look, I'm going to have to jump on a plane and get over there very shortly. So, yeah, look out follow my journey and uh, I'm hoping I can bring a lot of content to everyone else because it's not just me going I'm going to bring everyone else along with me yeah well I'm, I'm hoping the Zwiftcast will get some kind of backwash benefit of you being at Eurobike uh, uh, um, but obviously you know you will be I would imagine doing plenty of YouTube content from from Eurobike Oh yeah, that that's the main that's the main reason why I'm going to head over. YouTube has just been unbelievable for me. It's um, I've been blogging for years and doing exactly the same with the content in text-based form, but since I've switched the camera on, things have gone crazy. Um, there's just so much interaction going on, which is fantastic, and a lot of people sort of I'm just dishing out sort of general advice that I've, I've known for years or I've put on the blog for years, and uh, people are lapping it up, which is fantastic. It's it's really sort of um. I guess justifying why my obsession with bikes was there and uh, yeah, sort of repaying the community. Yeah, well, I have to tell you, Shane, and I, you know, I, I'm not just saying this to kind of butter your parsnips. That uh, <laughs> that uh, that video on uh, you know the easy way to remove pedals was just fantastic. You know, I have lost count of how many times I've ripped my knuckles to pieces on the chainring taking pedals off, and I'm you know a pretty decent home mechanic. Uh, so that that I, I urge everybody to look for for Shane's uh, video on, on how to um, successfully remove pedals whilst not removing skin. It's a really it's a really great piece of content. Nathan, uh, your recovery continues. I gather things knitting together nicely, are they? Yeah, I mean, I took a pretty good go at uh, Box Hill today. I can't get outside just yet, but uh, I'm on the trainer doing pretty good efforts and uh, able to go back and forth on the handlebars pretty good. And uh, we spent a little time at uh, the races yesterday and 
It had me longing to win a little bit, you know. <laughs> it, had me long, it had me longing to race. That, that was a slip of the tongue. Oh, whoops. So um, I definitely uh, watched a bunch of my competitors. You know, yesterday was uh, uh, getting a little bit of the fire going again to get uh, get back to training. So yeah, and and just remind people where 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 is Beam? How do people find you on Beam? Oh yeah, so it's Beam Pro slash Nathan Guerra. So um, it uh, just Beam Beam dot Pro slash Nathan Guerra. If you visit the Twitch channel during any of our live streams, it'll still be there, yeah. and a link will pop up every ten minutes in chat actually to point you directly to Beam. Um, also, if you follow on Twitter, it, I'll be promoting there constantly. So our uh, Vision TV Productions people have been doing an amazing job with a lot of little teaser vids and stuff with all the races that are coming up. Uh, so yeah, make sure to stop in for a race, sign up for one, even if you're out there in Zwift, there are tons of fun and you'll probably get highlighted. So excellent. Yep. Well, thank you very much, boys. Great to talk to you once again, and we'll catch up again very soon. Thanks guys. Bye.